TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I just want to check here. Can you, can you see me, Chris? Are you actually? This is our recording time, isn't I, I'm it? I'm right over here, Chris. I, I'm I'm here, right? See? Oh wait, I, I'm I'm. Waving my hand right now. Chris, are you there? I I think I see a, a mirage. Or so. Is that you, Chris? That's me. That's me. Oh, yeah, so we need to okay. get through this before I disappear. Well, goodness. I, I'm, I'm glad uh, that you made it finally. Uh, I don't know what happened there. It was, it was a little bit like, um, well, it was you, but it wasn't you. And, and I, I don't know. So, but uh, I know what you're thinking. You were thinking that you were going to co-host with Cyrus Ramsey today, right? Oh, no, 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 not him. I mean, you know, uh, he he only appears, you know, every third blue moon. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was not expecting him. Um, you know, he's he's not very talkative either. So I wouldn't expect him yeah, to be well, great on this show. Yeah, he had a traumatic experience. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit today. As we continue our 20th anniversary rewatch of Enterprise, we're in season two. We're going to be talking about episode 10, Vanishing Point. And here is a quick rundown. Forced to use the transporter to escape a diamagnetic storm on the surface of an uninhabited planet, Hoshi Sato returns to the Enterprise not quite feeling herself. In fact, she's slowly fading away, leaving her crew in danger and her dad confused. Unless she can find a way to get someone's attention, the ship will be destroyed and, even worse, she'll wind up just like Cyrus Ramsey. Cyrus who, you ask? Yeah, you're not alone. Tripp and Malcolm haven't heard of him either. It's all a trick of the mind. Eight seconds of insanity, if you will. But it does give new meaning to the verb to beam. So, Matthew, let's just get the beaming bit out of the way right up front. (laughs) I believe on the timeline here, Hoshi is the first Starfleet officer to ever use the word to beam to talk about moving around by transporter. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're absolutely right on that. And um, it makes sense that you would refer to that um, as that in the first place. Uh, You know, like, you, it it just makes sense. It's so weird. I hadn't even thought of that until you mentioned it, that like that's a word that somebody would have had to come up with because it right. just seems so like well duh i mean you're beaming from one place to the next but yeah that oh my gosh you just kind of blew my mind so <laughs> well i can see like in reality in that moment it's like last week where malcolm was trying to come up with the term for a red alert right what are you going to call mm-hmm. that i can see people calling it transmitting you know, transmit me or something like that. And then someone comes up with beam and everyone thinks, oh, that sounds good. That's catchier. Let's go with that. Well, and it does feel like just the right choice. You know, it it makes sense as to, again, 
what's happening. There, there is a beam that is catching you, the transporter beam, and then that beam takes you and moves you to another place. And so, like, I think it, it it's... It, it's one of those places where uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of um, in Star Wars Episode 3 where Yoda and Obi-Wan are watching the hologram of what's happening. And the Emperor calls himself the Emperor. And then you get oh, Obi-Wan right. mm-hmm. saying the Emperor. Uh, and so, like, just kind of picking that up and, and 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 moving with that. So, in some ways, it feels very similar to that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I to me, this it, it it's it's one of those fun parts of Enterprise when we get to do this, uh, when we get to, uh, you know, have these firsts that we're so used to. And yeah, I mean, having Hoshi be the person that that says that is kind of cool. Yeah, and I love what you said there because at this point in time, people are really scared to use the transporter. Mm -hmm. So I can see Starfleet having these posters around the ships with some nice artwork that says, Beaming, it's the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) Beaming, you've got nothing to be scared of. (laughs) All right. Okay, let's get into the story here and... One thing this reminds me, it's not exactly the same thing, of course, that's happening. But if you think about Realm of Fear on The Next Generation and Barkley being scared of the transporter, seeing things in the transporter, and especially diagnosing himself with transporter psychosis, which causes people to have paranoid delusions and hallucinations and psychogenic hysteria, it... Well, I would say transporter psychosis is something that affects people as they move around in real life, and that's Mm -hmm. not what's happening here with Hoshi. But what we're watching happen, and especially as we're going through the episode and we don't yet know the the twist of the story, it feels like there's a lot of parallel going on there in terms of how uh, transporters are affecting characters. Well... I think one of the things about just the the whole idea of transporting in the first place is that when you do think about what is happening, it, it's it's kind of a crazy idea that oh yeah you know you are legitimately being taken apart quantumly molecularly and then put back together and you know I think the ramifications of that and the questions that come along with that are obviously huge uh, when it comes to, um, you know, philosophical questions. You know, there have been whole books written on, on this kind of idea. And so the, the fact that it would kind of mess with people's actual heads, right? Like just their their being and who they are and their, their psyche uh, of this idea makes complete sense. It makes even more sense for somebody like Hoshi, who has already been a character that we've watched be very scared of everything that's out there, right? Which yeah. I think legitimately makes sense. You know, she's she's been somebody who's had phobias and fears that we've already seen play out in the show. And so for her to be obviously the one that goes through this and and then for her to be the person that would kind of experience this in those moments 
really makes sense because like you can just imagine her heart already racing and the adrenaline pumping and all of those things happening in her body as she's being transported in the first place. And then for this to happen, I I think it's not that much of a leap really. So, which, you know, that, that's, that's really smart in in many ways for them in in creating this episode. Um, And well, she's definitely the right character to choose. If you look at everyone on the crew, if you're going to do this story, who would you pick? I think they made the perfect choice with her. Mm-hmm. And and also the story, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a moment, that formulates in her head in this dream state, the situation, also it creates an interesting one, I think, for the viewer compared with what we mm-hmm. might get with some of the other characters. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and what's interesting, and you know, I hadn't really even thought about this or put this together but is in many ways there is a similarity between the character of Hoshi and the the character of Barkley and and some of the uh, I don't I guess neuroses that they have um mm-hmm. you know and and I think it's it's um it's good for them to kind of deal with this on Star Trek cuz it, it it's very applicable it's it's very you know, a lot of people have these type of things. And what I love about these type of characters is the way in which, you know, somebody like Hoshi or, you know, somebody like Barkley, uh, they face their fears in the end. Uh, they're, they're willing yeah, to right. put themselves in places where they are completely uncomfortable and to do it. And and I think that's a really neat part of, of Star Trek and something that maybe we don't necessarily talk enough about is the way that it, I think does a good job of portraying, you know, what these type of people go through legitimately. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so many of us have these types of characteristics to one extent or another, Mm -hmm. maybe not to the same level as Barkley, for example, in terms of socializing with others in his case. Yeah. But, but, to some extent, yes. And in both cases here with these characters, you've got two characters who are both extremely smart, capable people who maybe don't don't realize their full potential or lack a little bit of confidence. They're a bit different. Barkley kind of lacks confidence. And Hoshi, I think on Earth probably isn't like this. In space, she's out of her comfort zone and it has taken her a long time to... Uh, get over that. And we've talked a lot on the show here about how much progress she has made. And so there is an aspect of this story, which I think is interesting because it maybe highlights that while on the surface, she's made a lot of progress underneath, maybe subconsciously, there's still a lot of stuff lingering there. Well, and I mean, I I think what this episode does for us is it helps remind us as far as Hoshi's come there's still a long way to go and there's still a lot in space to be scared of, you know, especially in the Star Trek universe. And so I think what I like about that is how real it feels for the character mm-hmm. that we just haven't forgotten the fact of, of what we were doing character wise with her. 
the things that we had set up about her and just been like, oh, no, that that I mean, she's she's good now. Uh, you know, I, right. I think that that would be one of those places where uh, Enterprise is doing a great job of rem- of remembering where we are and where we've been. And that's great. Um, that and, yeah, and, and, and in all honesty, really important, because otherwise, if we never brought this up again, I think that would be something to where as we're watching through the show, we would be like, well, I just I feel like they're kind of like. You know, Hoshi. Hoshi's never had another issue. You know, and 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 that would be something we'd call out on on the other side. Right. So, um, well done on them for having been consistent with the character. Definitely. So I I compared this with Barkley and Realm of Fear, but actually, to me, this story is a lot more like what happens to us when we dream, mm-hmm. because when we when we have dreams, sometimes it seems like they go on for a really long time. Yeah. Maybe even days of time passes in the dream itself. But in reality, dreams are quite short. They can last only a few seconds. They might last five or 10 minutes. I think that's like the typical average that scientists believe at this point. It's obviously not easy to study what's going on in your mind when you're <laughs> when asleep. You're asleep yeah. <laughs> But there's a lot of research that goes into it. And sometimes they can last an hour, even two hours. But even if they last two hours, that's not that long. And usually it's way, way shorter than what we think is happening in the dream. And yet the dream state feels so real to us. I'm sure that everyone has had one of those dreams where you're so certain that it's real that when you wake up, it takes you a little while to realize Mm -hmm that that was a dream and that you're in your bed and everything is okay now. Yeah. And so that's what this reminds me a lot more of because she's actually only in the pattern buffer for 8.3 seconds. Mm -hmm. So what did you think about this aspect of the story and also try to think of the first time you saw it and how well they pulled off the idea that uh, she had come back from the planet and something odd was happening to her, but she was really there on the ship. I, I think that this episode does this as well as you can. I, you know, watching through the episode... Um, was was definitely a really interesting experience, you know, because I know what happens. Um, I, I think thinking back to my the the first time, that's that's really hard because it's been so long since this episode mm-hmm. came yeah. out. Yeah, and I, you know, yeah, I don't know if I can even put myself in that position anymore. I think rewatching yeah, the episode. Yeah. I feel like it's I could see why this is a a good episode, a decent episode. Uh it makes sense that you would do this with this character. Uh it all of that I think works. But I'm not a huge fan of episodes that have such an easy basically reset button. You know, in the mm-hmm. sense that like, oh no, that didn't really happen, you know, or you know, something like that. And well, that's 
Yeah, that's interesting. So, mm. but this one is not quite that because the experience right. is something that Hoshi herself remembers. Uh, and yeah. so I, I think they ameliorate some of that with that idea, which is, yeah, I mean, Hoshi herself is actually still experiencing this. And therefore, it it works on that level. And so it, mm-hmm. it helps kind of like take that from an episode where, yeah, we basically just reset everything back to where we began. And instead, this moves the character forward from her fears a little bit, but also reminds us that, that Hoshi still has a long way to go. Yeah. So that's interesting because I never think of this episode as being a reset button, but maybe what you mean is like, in a TNG story, for example, because of the very, very episodic nature of that series, mm-hmm. something traumatic might happen to a character in a single episode, but then the next week, right. everything's perfectly fine again, yeah. right? Because we're viewing yeah. those stories as capsules, as opposed to a Voyager-style reset button where something really major happens to a character or the ship, which really should impact their journey, and yet the next week, everything is perfectly fine. Yeah. Different types of reset buttons, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think you're absolutely right. And, and that's one of the places where I just think Enterprise, as we've talked about many times so far, as we've been walking through this, is, is one of the hallmarks of the show, is that it is not forgetting those things. And so this is another stepping stone for Hoshi, and her character that we aren't actually going to forget, which is really nice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for me, this episode, I've never thought of it in that sense of being like a reset button, because I think that the point of the story is summed up at the end with the conversation with Archer. And it's what you already said early in our discussion, which is that Hoshi overcomes her fears. Mm -hmm. And Everything that's playing out in this story inside her head is a manifestation of her fears. And the fact that there's a linguistic mystery at the core of this crisis that's happening on the ship, and she can't solve it. And then this random guy, Crewman Baird, is able to quickly decipher the alien language and save Trip and Travis when they've been kidnapped and taken down to the planet, and the crew had to get them back. And so Hoshi fails to help her crewmates. Now, of course, we know that in reality, Hoshi would have been able to solve that problem. So that's right. That's one of the first moments. If, like you, it's really hard for me to go back and try to remember watching this the very first time, and wh- whether the twist really worked for me. But rewatching it and just picturing the flow of the story and the points at which things happen that are red flags that this isn't real, that's certainly one of them. Uh, the mm, fact that yeah. Hoshi oversleeps actually so long is kind of one of them as well because she doesn't seem like that kind of person. Right who would miss the start of her duty shift because she overslept. And then she gets up there and she can't solve the language mystery. 
And then it seems like that's resolved, but then later she's seeing the aliens on the ship and they're putting bombs on and they're talking to each other and she can't understand them again, even though she's a linguist. I think that it just does a really good job of surfacing her internal fears, having those play out. And then, even though it's in her head, again, she thinks the ship's going to be destroyed. And so she like summons that, that internal strength to push through and save everybody. And so, like you said, it advances the character because somehow she remembers all of this, which I guess is a science fiction component. Right. Because normally when we wake up from a dream like this, we might remember it for a few minutes. But as the day goes on, certainly it starts mm-hmm. to fade away. And a day or two later, you might be able to tell someone, I had this weird dream about aliens on the ship but the rest of the details would right. fade away. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that with this this whole idea, and, and like you said, I think what's fascinating is when you go back to rewatch the episode, you do begin to see how there are there's this cascading effect of things that Hoshi would be afraid of. And so that is kind of the tip off that, yeah, something isn't quite right here. And I I think that actually, again, that's one of the places where I think it's, it's done pretty well. Um, And because if you're just kind of watching the episode and you're, you're not like completely paying attention to every little single detail, you might miss those facts, which you know, some people probably watching it the first time did, and some people would have kind of figured it out right away. And it just depends on what type of viewer you are of of episodes. And I tend to be a viewer who just kind of goes along with the the story that's being told. I'm not necessarily looking for all of those type of clues. I, I tend to pick out like more thematic elements and those kind of things in story. And then once the twist comes, like I'm, I'd go back and and like rewatch it and those kind of things. So, um, this is I I'm I'm sure probably wasn't one where I just immediately knew. Oh well, that's that's not you know, that's not true. Yeah. Or, or that's not right. Or I yeah. I probably in all honesty did not pick that up the first time I watched it because that's not generally how I watch things. Um, mm-hmm. unless it's specifically a mystery, actually. Yeah. Well, and in a mystery, the writers are going to try to throw you off track a little bit more. Yes. Which here, there's there's no effort here to throw you off track. It's just bit by bit, you know, the layers are being peeled off to reveal that this is not reality. And same for me, especially watching this in 2002 when it first aired. I don't think I was sitting there watching it like, ah, this isn't real. She's dreaming or something weird is going on Mm -hmm. here. I think that uh, it wasn't until later on in the episode where things really start to feel a bit too unusual. And the idea that someone might start to fade away and become invisible in Star Trek is it's normal enough for you to go with it and think that it could be caused by any number of 
stellar phenomena, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it's a dream state. And I think that's one of the things where, you know, because this is enterprise and because not many people have been transported yet, it makes mm-hmm. sense then uh, for, I think, this type of thing to happen in this series as opposed to other series, because certain things, uh, you know, this is all new for them, you know, and, and every time that they do transport somebody, they are learning something, which in this episode specifically, we do actually have that, right? We do have Archer talking about how they are going to change some protocols when it comes to transporting people physically because of what mm-hmm. happened. And so, I think that's one of those things, and and that's actually a pretty cool thing, actually, um, that you do have that, because it it makes this episode feel, I think, even more real in that sense. Like, this is an episode that clearly takes into account where we are in the saga of Star Trek, and this is not a thing you could really do, I think, in, in other series, but you can absolutely do it here. And if I'm Hoshi, I'm thinking back to, was it Strange New World? I think the second episode where they beam the guy up and he's got like rocks and leaves mm-hmm. in his face and everything because, yeah. you know, and if I'm Hoshi and I'm down on the planet in a storm and I'm going to have to do an emergency beam out, I'd be pretty nervous too. Yeah. <laughs> and so the fact that that she's worried about uh, what might happen to her when she gets up there is uh, no doubt. And I mean, hey, even Archer, maybe, you know, yeah, they're going to change protocols now. Maybe he was even a little bit uneasy about how this is going to go at that point. I was also thinking about just the details of the story. I'm thinking back to Discovery, and there's a scene where this character May tells Tilly that, oh, your mind is so much fun. But I'm thinking here that Hoshi's mind is really fun because in her mind, she comes up with this whole idea of this character named Cyrus Ramsey, and then the conversation between mm-hmm. Tripp and Malcolm and Travis and all about Cyrus Ramsey, and then Phlox also knows about Cyrus Ramsey yep. because he spent nine months on Earth. Like For all this stuff to be uh, forming in her head and then playing out in this dream, is that part I thought was really interesting. And then the part about the aliens is something probably a lot of us might have that aspect mm-hmm. of, of something come up in our dream. Uh, but the fact, like I said earlier, that there's a language element to it that she can't solve is, you know, playing on her fears. But anyway, just the, all the details of the story are really fun. And that brings me to one other one I wanted to ask you about, because I've, I've spent years thinking about this one little part of the story and wondering what happened to Buck Bokai, because when Buck Bokai was on DS9, he was way smarter than here. It's the, the same actor, Kian Young, plays Buck Bokai and Hoshi's dad in this episode. And Hoshi's dad seems like the most confused person in the world. I was thinking that Buck Bokai, he understood quantum mechanics, and Mr. Sato can't seem to wrap his mind around molecules. And he gets confused about uh, Archer referring to Hoshi as part of the family. And I don't know. I mean, what did you think about Mr. Sato? 
that was probably the strangest part of the whole thing. And I guess part of me wonders, okay, so this is part of Hoshi psyche, right? Yes, that's that's why I'm bringing it up here, yeah. Does she think that her father is not very smart? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cuz cuz that's that's kind of what I get from this is like Yeah. Or 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 is it that she imagines maybe this is it. Maybe she imagines her father being so devastated by yeah. the news of her death that he has a hard time even contemplating the idea being possible. Let's say that's what it is. Yeah. Well, that's what I would hope it would be. <laughs> and I think that that might actually be the case. But I think it reads, as you said the first time, that at least subconsciously, she feels that her father is not very bright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because... It's so it, weird. It, it, now that you it say just comes that, I that can't. Way. I can't. Like, unsee it. It's not... (laughs) Well, so I said I've spent years thinking about this one part of this episode, and the reason is that... And actually, this is why I think that the first time I saw the episode, for sure, that the twist didn't reveal itself to me until later on in the story, because at first I just thought, wow, that's some of the worst acting I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and over the years, I've come... Because I really love this episode, and I, I watch this episode regularly, actually. And over the years, I have come to think of it more as... That's a clue that this isn't real, because, of course, her dad would not act this way. So that's something odd going on. And then I'm thinking, well, is he acting this way because Hoshi thinks he's dumb? Or he's he just doesn't like grasp things quickly, or what's going on here? And I'm sorry, it's just so funny. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that probably what you came up with there is maybe the 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 real, at least the best intent of what's going on here. I think that if Young could have played confused a little bit better mm-hmm. then this part of the story would have worked better because I get the being devastated about the death of his daughter. And that comes through a little bit towards the end of the conversation when he says he's going to need time to talk to Hoshi's mom. And then he says, can you call us back later? Like maybe in the afternoon. And I love that part because, you know, that's that Star Trek thing where right. obviously time of day has no meaning when yeah. you're flying around space, but yet they're going to call them back in the afternoon. But it's that beginning part where like he just can't comprehend anything that Archer is saying, even though Archer has not yet revealed that Hoshi has been killed. Mm-hmm. And that's where it just doesn't quite uh, work. So maybe that is intended, however, to be one of the clues that that things aren't quite right. Yeah, um, that that's you. You say that, and you know, as I was watching, I was kind of thinking to myself, "Well, he doesn't doesn't really seem to be getting this in a way that like anybody should be getting." this and and so yeah 100% it, it 
it just seems odd, like very, very odd. And so, very, very I'm, odd. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. So, <laughs> oh, it's something I have to bring up every time I mention this episode. And and uh, thinking back to it being the same actor, I would say if wishes were horses, Mr. Sato would not understand. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what that means. All right. Uh, one other thing here. This is just a quick little tidbit that stood out to me this time. I never paid attention to it before. I feel like there's a little TOS reference here to Bones and the Transporter when Flox is talking to Hoshi. And he explains early days of transporters and he says i'm not at all surprised at your reaction you wouldn't catch me using that apparatus doesn't that sound just like another doctor we know yeah that that was a nice nice call and you know it it's something that actually made me think and i'm glad you brought it up because you know we know that the denobians are are very uh technologically advanced and so it does it did seem a little bit strange to me that they didn't already have transporter technology. And so that was actually kind of a fascinating thing for me in the episode to, to learn, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, this is not something that Denobulans consider normal. Uh, so yeah. that, that was well, quite an interesting revelation in the episode. That's a really interesting point too, because... I think that the way transporter technology is portrayed in Star Trek, it's done that way because it's necessary to tell the stories and have the different species mm-hmm. interact with each other. But certainly, it's not a given that every world is going to develop this technology. And even if they do, they might have some moral or ethical reason for not using it right. and not pursuing it. And you see that in... Voyager, when they go to the Delta Quadrant and, you know, transporter technology is like something exotic to people. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I like it. Um, I like the idea that this is this is still a very new technology um, and that there are, you know, very few people in the galaxy that are using it at this point. Um, you know, I, I think we've seen Klingons using it uh, and we, we know Vulcans use it as well. Uh, but I just, it is very fascinating to me that, you know, this is not a thing to which Denobulans would, would be a part of at this moment. And mm-hmm. so it does remind us that we're just in a, in a time period where these things aren't a given yet, which I kind of love. Um, and yeah. I think it, it just, it's another part of the episode where we are where the writers are legitimately remembering, you know, where we are in the series. And I think that is, is great. You know, I mean, it's definitely a very important thing for these writers to remember that um, because if they didn't, we would get frustrated. And I think this is definitely a place where uh, they're, they're paying close attention. uh, And that's great. Uh, I'm very glad that that's the case. So Absolutely. So what are your final thoughts on Hoshi's eight seconds of insanity and what's your rating for this one? Yeah, um, I would say that this, it, it, it was, it's very interesting to me that you love this episode so much. Um, I don't, 
I wouldn't say I love this episode, but I don't think it's bad. Um, it's just not personally my favorite. And uh, I, I would say, though, that this this still I would still give this, you know, uh, three out of five. I think this there there's still a lot to this episode. And I personally just really enjoy the fact that we've not forgotten who Hoshi is uh, as a character. And I think that that that. I really appreciate the writer's paying attention to that and so to me yeah i i would give this uh three out of five bad trips <laughs> now those are those bad trips in the transporter or or are those bad trip tuckers uh, those would be just bad trips in in the <laughs> transporter uh you know it trip is fine because i'm thinking of an episode where there are five trips and three of them are bad and two of them aren't and they're all doing something on the ship would be a really interesting story i mean uh you know i'm i'm not i'm down for it um i you know my favorite character is trip so can you have too many trips <laughs> all right well yeah i guess one reason i love this episode so much is that i love hoshi and they don't give her enough to do in the series and so when there is an episode that centers on her. I usually really enjoy it. And I think in this one, Linda Park does a really good job of playing this situation and playing this character and feeling confused, uneasy, frightened, but also heroic in the end and taking us on that journey in a way that I feel like her acting feels very natural. I think she did a good job in this episode. And the story itself, I just find really interesting. And maybe I like these kind of psychological twist type stories. And that might be another reason for it. But I just think it's a really fun story. And I'm going to give it eight almost invisible hands. Nice. Almost invisible. Not quite. Yeah. Which, of course, Travis would tell you would be uh, really useful sometimes, especially in a poker game. Uh, I, of course. <laughs> All right, everyone. We would love to hear your thoughts on Vanishing Point. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it should come right up. If not, type the whole name, the Babel Conference. It is a closed group. So if you're joining for the first time, please answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. We do that to make sure it's for our listeners. We don't want it to just be a general Star Trek group filled with the same stuff that's in every group. We want it to be a continuation of the conversations from the podcasts. So we would love to see you in the Babel Conference. And when you're in there, you'll see a post for this episode on the timeline. And you can share your thoughts and comments with fellow listeners and Matthew and me right there. If you'd prefer to send us email, you can do that as well. Go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, use the form you find there, and choose to send to a show, and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And of course, in social media, you can find us everywhere under the username trekfm. And if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd love to get that from you as well. Now, Matthew, when you're not staring in the mirror to see if your birthmark has disappeared, where can people find you? 
Well, Chris, uh, I'm I'm glad it hasn't. I, I still feel like me, so I think everything's okay. Uh, but of course, you can find me all over the place under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two on Instagram, Letterbox, Twitter, Vero, those type of places. Uh, you can also find me uh, here on the network on our whole other side of the uh, network where we don't talk Star Trek because we talk a lot of Star Trek. So we want to talk all those other fandoms that we love on the Six Hundred Two Club. Uh, you can also find me doing literary tracks, which is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Chris, you and I do The Orb. We talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Then we're also doing Saddle Up about a Star Trek a Strange New Worlds and The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard. And, of course, you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is called Owl Post. That's a completed show I did with Drea Kaufman. And we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then I'm doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. Uh, but, Chris, uh, you know, when you're uh, not looking around for your vanishing friend, where can people find you? I found him. He's by the campfire. Cyrus Ramsey's there, the ghost of Yoda, the ghost of Anakin, the ghost of Obi-Wan. Oh wow. We're all just hanging out there in Ghostland. That's a lot of that's a lot of ghosts. It is, yeah. And uh yeah. But hey, we have great conversations. And when we're not doing that, I can be found here on the network doing all the shows together with you that you mentioned. Also Larry Namachek and I do the ready room from time to time. We have a new episode out right now where we talk about the state of the franchise in 2022 and run through all the modern series. And also you can find me in many episodes in the back catalog. And if you'd like to chat, you can find me in social media. My username everywhere is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That is my username everywhere, but Twitter is where I'm most active. So if you'd like to chat with me there, I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to help us keep this show and everything that we're doing on the network going, we could definitely use your help. To find out how to support the network, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And I'd like to send a huge thank you to everyone who is supporting us right now. We really, truly would not be here without you. So thank you so, so very, very much. Well, Matthew, I'm really looking forward to next time because... We're going to be talking about Precious Cargo. Well, Chris, uh, you know that is one of my, well, I don't know if I should spoil it, but one of my favorite episodes of Enterprise. So let's go. Let's go.